0: Welcome to State of Health Podcast. This is your host Jmart. On this podcast, I will share my knowledge and experience as a personal trainer and health coach and talk about my interests and experiments in physical training, nutrition, and other lifestyle factors involved in health. Just before we get started, this is a reminder to subscribe to my Substack found at jmartfit.substack.com. If you're watching on YouTube, please smash the like button for the YouTube algorithm, hit subscribe if you want more content, and hit the notification bell too. If you're listening through a podcast app, please share the episode with a friend or a loved one. Alright, let's start the episode. Hey friends and fam, it's Jmart and this is State of Health. Today, we're delving into the journey of my 2023 New Year's resolution to run a half marathon in two hours or less meaning a pace of 5 minutes and 42 seconds per kilometer or faster without incurring an injury. Why, you might ask? Well, besides the typical New Year, New Me vibe, I decided to take up running as a strategic move to improve my endurance for when I'm playing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I wanted to use cross-training to boost my performance on the mats, and what better way than getting outside and clocking in the kilometers? Now, let's rewind a bit. About a decade ago, I took a swing at a full marathon, but due to lack of appropriate preparation, I had to throw in the towel at the 30-kilometer mark. Fast forward to today, and the half marathon became the first step of a multi-year plan to take another shot at that elusive half marathon. Join me as I share the details of my training process and the lessons I learned, the race day experienced, the results, and my insights. Before we dive into the specifics of my marathon training, let's quickly go over how I arrived at this particular goal. Quick shout out if you've already listened to my State of Health 19, number 19 podcast with my personal trainer friend Daniel Yours, where we talked about our fitness goals for 2023, why we wanted to go for those goals specifically, and how we planned to accomplish them. Despite having different objectives, our approaches were surprisingly similar. You can catch the full podcast and glean some actionable fitness advice by checking out number 19 episode of State of Health. It's worth a listen for some fitness inspo. Check it out, please. So specifically, my goal was to run the Toronto Waterfront Half Marathon in two hours or less without hurting myself. Uh, Beyond the finish line, this goal was about enhancing my cardiovascular fitness to up my game in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Running was simply the method I used to boost my endurance, a key player for for success on the jujitsu mats. Running was also a good fit specifically for me because of my previous failed attempt at running a full marathon. My last attempt was a rushed endeavor, lacking the depth of knowledge on effective training strategies. And the completion of a full marathon is an unfinished chapter of my life that I wish to close by applying my newly acquired knowledge to train effectively and efficiently. And being wise enough to have a multi-year approach to ensure that I'm fully prepared, for, uh, fully prepared. 2023 was the year of the half marathon, and 2024 will be the year to complete a full. Now, let's talk about how I, how I came up with this goal specifically. So well, I, I applied the SMART goal approach. SMART is an acronym for Specific, Measurable, Achievable, Realistic, and Timely. And it's used to guide goal setting to make sure goals are clear and reachable. So let's go over it. So for specific, I defined the who, what, when, where, and why of the goal, and made sure that the goal had clear answers for all these questions. For measurable, I set very clear metrics about what I wanted to accomplish, right? Half marathon or 21.1 kilometers, aiming for less than two hours to complete and steering clear of injuries. Achievable, you know. I, I know that many others have accomplished a similar goal to this successfully, and I've got resources, such as I had trails nearby where I live, I have home training equipment, and the knowledge and plan to be able to accomplish this goal, just like others. Realistic, with a generous seven-month timeline, I felt confident I would be prepared, even while training Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu more frequently than running. Lastly, timely, the Toronto Waterfront race day was scheduled for October 15th and it lit a fire under me and kept, me, kept a goal time bound. So, besides my previous training experience, I had two new influential figures shaping my running training, David Weck and Dr. Matt Menard. David Weck, the man behind the BOSU ball, has been a digital mentor of mine for a few years as I followed him on Instagram at the David Weck, and slowly absorbed the concept of the the spinal engine for balanced locomotion. Dr. Matt Menard, on the other hand, a physical therapist who I came across on Instagram at learn.2.run at the beginning of this year, he taught me to economize movement to maximize my distance. I'll get more specific about exactly what techniques I learned from each individual later on in in the podcast. In crafting a plan to run the Toronto Waterfront Half Marathon in two hours, I divided my training into four phases spanning seven months. During the initial phase lasting two months, my focus would be on building a robust foundation. The plan was to do weight training two to three times a week and start a consistent running routine, gradually increasing the distance from five to 10 kilometers. The plan for the subsequent phase was to discontinue weight training and to focus on increasing the distance of runs to 15 kilometers in one run and 21 kilometers accumulated in one week. Next, I would transition to a six week speed work and peak training phase by adding hill sprints and completing at least one slow 21 kilometer run outside of the two-hour time limit. Finally, the last phase of the plan was a two-week taper phase Aimed to optimize my readiness by reducing mileage. Check out my substack, jmartfit.substack.com, for a more detailed view of what the plan looked like. And so now, putting theory into action, I started the foundation phase in early March with short strength training sessions, minimum three days a week. Check out again my substack, jmartfit.substack.com, for the exact workouts with sets and reps I used. The program primarily aimed to build muscular endurance and enhance tissue resilience, focusing specifically on lower body joints. I accumulated a high volume by programming high rep ranges for bilateral and unilateral squats, deadlifts, and lunges. I varied training speeds by combining slow and controlled movements with explosive kettlebell swings, as well as cleans and snatches. And each session concluded with two max effort single joint exercises targeting either ankles, knees, or hips. These workouts were designed to be time efficient considering my constrained schedule. Now, in addition to these workouts, I performed a daily set of 100 bodyweight squats and I incorporated supplementary stretches for leg muscles as needed. Again, check out my Substack for the list of key stretches that I used. In less than four weeks, I was starting to feel the effects of strength training on my body, which coincided with a significant improvement in the weather outside, allowing me to begin the outdoor runs. I went on my first run on March 24th, initiating a sequence of 22 slow training runs interspersed with four hill sprints in the uh, peaking phase. My preparation also encompassed a short trail run organized by Five Peaks Adventures, all leading up to the half marathon on October 15th. Throughout the seven months, I maintained a rhythm of about one run per week, which was less than ideal, but proved sufficient for my needs while also accommodating my twice weekly commitments to jujitsu. I strategically expanded the distance covered during my runs by incorporating consolidation runs or runs of similar or shorter distances. Notably, I increased the distance immediately after a single consolidation run five times and after two consolidation runs four times during my training. My average pace during runs was intentionally slow, aligning with my goal of completing the half marathon without incurring an injury. Risk of injury is always higher, right, at higher speeds, so I remained slow. I also determined that I would follow the 80-20 principle and use 80% of my training on slow zone two runs, where the goal is to keep the heart rate below 140 degrees beats per, not degrees, 140 beats per minute, and 20% in zone five, which involves hill sprints that approach my maximum heart rate. For improved cardiovascular adaptations, I practiced nasal breathing during more than 80% of my slow zone two runs. The pace of my initial five kilometer run, the most frequently repeated distance in my training, 10 out of the 22 were five kilometers. So the pace for that first initial five kilometer run was eight minutes and 52 seconds. And to my surprise, it improved all the way up to five minutes and 14 seconds on my final run before the race. The fastest pace I achieved for long distances was for a 10-kilometer run, which was 6 minutes and 19 seconds, on June 10th. Starting mid-August, I incorporated sprints on a short, steep hill near where I live, which perfectly loops back on like this gentle trail down the hill to a field below. So I would sprint up the hill with maximum effort and slowly walk down the trail, ensuring that I resumed running only when my heartbeat dropped below 140 beats per minute. After about six loops up and down the hill, I would get sufficiently exhausted and return home. Unlike my slow zone two runs, I did not employ nasal breathing during the sprints to enable maximum maximal effort with the open mouth. While the hill sprints were an all-out affair, judging the intensity of the slow zone two runs proved to be a very subjective task. So seeking a more objective approach, I created a point system to evaluate the intensity of each run By factoring in two crucial data points, average pace and duration, resulting, so this would result in a numerical value that I termed run intensity. You can check out my substack to get a more in-depth explanation of how I came up with this value. As someone who never had a track and field coach to assess my running technique, this training cycle really forced me to think deeply about the intricacies of running. My understanding of running mechanics was significantly enhanced by principles I learned from David Weck and Dr. Matt Menard, thus refining my running technique to optimize speed and endurance. Let's start with a simple definition. Running is rapid locomotion on feet. In contrast to walking, the main difference is that in running, there's a brief period where both feet come off the ground. While some vertical movement is unavoidable, Dr. Matt Menard's cue to push with the tush reminds me to push the earth backwards using glutes to minimize vertical movement and maximize horizontal propulsion. Another valuable insight from Dr. Matt Menard is to hinge from the ankles, leaning forward such that the torso is angled between 12 and 1 o'clock on a clock face. By doing so, I harness gravity to work in my favor, creating forward motion without energy expenditure. By the way, you can check out my Substack to see an image that will give you a better understanding of what I mean about the clock's face. Now, one crucial tip from Dr. Matt Menard was incorporating heel striking into my runs. Previously, I favored exclusively forefoot striking to leverage the Achilles tendon for a bounce. However, I didn't realize that by doing so, I was actually slowing myself down unnecessarily. In essence, running is this continuous interplay of acceleration and deceleration as one leg pushes the ground back to propel you forward and increase speed speed, while the other leg lands and absorbs the ground to decrease speed. So heel striking minimizes braking and facilitates a quicker transition back to acceleration. Gliding forward with a heel strike is self-evidently more efficient than striking with a forefoot when we consider walking. Landing on the floor with your forefoot while walking slows you down and then slows down the forward glide and creates this awkward Elmer Fudd-like movement. The only time we normally use the forefoot as the first point of contact with the ground is when we walk down a set of stairs, which makes sense because we need to slow down our speed as we descend to prevent the fall. So for my runs now, I strategically employ both heel and forefoot striking based on the terrain. Heel striking for flat surfaces or uphill climbs and forefoot striking for descents, minimizing impact on my ankles and knees. This nuanced understanding has allowed me to run faster and save energy, precious energy for these extended runs. Dr. Matt Menard's insights provided a solid foundation for running mechanics but then what I learned from David Weck added another layer of more in-depth understanding of balanced locomotion. Let's start with another definition during a run, the leg, that leg absorbing the ground and transitioning to pushing the ground back can be summed up by three words, land, load, and launch. It's important to have this framework and to understand that when our body position is out of balance, it's much harder to land, load, and launch. That's why the key to efficient running is balanced locomotion with head over foot as the main cue to make that happen. As popularized in the spinal engine by Serge Krakovetsky, I believe that the spine is the primary engine that makes us move. Gait generally, and running specifically are not simply a function of the legs only, but of the whole body. If you search walking with no legs in YouTube, you'll come across this video of a double leg amputee walking with no prosthetics by using his spine to create a short and long side and counter rotate his shoulders and hips to each other to make locomotion happen. This is exactly what the head over foot cue, which I got from David Weck accomplishes without so many words if you position your head over your foot right at landing the spine creates the long and short side and the hips and shoulders counter rotate but you also achieve a state of balance on each step therefore there's no wasted energy to land load and launch making your running more fluid and energy efficient so you can add distance one thing i personally noticed right away when i started to run with the head over foot cue in mind was that my hip Felt easier to extend as far as possible and more natural. To further amplify the rebound effect in the load and launch phase, I incorporated the techniques of double down pulsing and wringing the wrists from David Weck. These two are difficult subjects to try to unwind in this format, but I'll do my best. Let's start with with the double down pulse. When you perform a double down pulse, both hands are moving down during the split seconds before the foot touches the ground. There's a, I've provided a link in my Substack so you can see what it look what that looks like. Go ahead and check out my Substack so you can uh, check out the link. The goal of the technique is to use the upper body to deliver more total force into the ground. As I already said, we want to push the ground back and maximize horizontal propulsion. However, some vertical movement is unavoidable. By moving both hands down right before the foot touches the ground, we increase the vertical rebound, which gives us more time for greater horizontal propulsion. Essentially, the double down pulse makes me apply as much force into the ground as possible and connects my upper body and lower body in synchrony for running. Ringing the wrists or the spiraling action of the arms is a little harder to explain, so I recommend you check out a post by David Weck himself about it that I've included in my substack, please go check that out. In short, basically the arms alternate between fully spiraling internally and externally to integrate upper body fascia with legs and feet, again, for optimal running. As I was incorporating these principles into my running, I also began practicing rope flow to enable my body to have better timing and balance for rotating my spine for head over foot locomotion. What is rope flow? It's a movement practice that it takes away the jump component from using the jump rope so that the body is forced to rotate with every rep, thus creating a dynamic practice that really reinforces the lessons learned from David Weck. It's a really fun practice and it's been a really welcomed addition to my daily movement practice. By integrating these insights from Dr. Matt Menard and David Weck, my running technique evolved profoundly. Dr. Menard's emphasis on pushing with the tush and ankle hinging provided a solid foundation, optimizing efficiency through strategic foot foot striking. And then David Weck's techniques, including head over foot, double down pulsing, and wringing the wrist, this added depth, fostering balanced and energy efficient strides. And then finally, the rope flow practice really solidified all these lessons and contributed to a feeling of confidence as the half marathon approached. Having said all that, though, besides training and refining my running technique, navigating the path toward my half marathon goal also entailed managing health challenges as they arose. While my initial concerns centered on the possibility of injuries from jujitsu sidelining me, a less anticipated hurdle emerged in mid-September. So what happened was a seemingly routine respiratory illness. It took a drastic turn and triggered gastrointestinal distress that it persisted for weeks. I had stomach pain, it became this constant feeling that was with me, it re- disrupted my nutrition and resulted ultimately in this significant 10 pound weight loss. Now, luckily this happened during a planned taper period of my training. However, even a slow five kilometer run at this time felt like a Herculean effort. All my progress had seemed to be erased. So I feared I would have had to cancel the half marathon and that would put reaching my goal in jeopardy. But miraculously, a week before the scheduled run on October 15th, I began to recover. Thank goodness. As my health significantly improved, I achieved my fastest pace in a five kilometer run just days before the scheduled half marathon. This unexpected health saga had really added a layer of uncertainty to the whole journey and Tested both my physical resilience and mental fortitude. Now, as I approached the half marathon, a deep sense of gratitude really welled within me for the recovery, first of all, but also for the opportunity to run and the chance to break the two-hour goal I set for myself. All right, so let's talk about the race day. Race day began at 7 a.m. as I woke up and packed my bag with essentials like a water bottle and pre-run snacks. With my kids safely in the care of their grandparents, I could focus on the upcoming race. After a light breakfast of yogurt and berries, I quickly made my way to the subway station to catch the first train to the race start line near Nathan Phillips Square. During the journey, I practiced breathing exercises to ease any lingering nervousness. And then... Once I was there, before handing my bag to the event organizers and heading to the start line, I adhered to my pre-run ritual of consuming a large tablespoon of honey with Himalayan pink salt in order to remain hydrated and run without the feeling of thirst. In lieu of a spoon, I used apple slices to scoop all the honey and salt into my mouth, followed by drinking at least half the water in my water bottle. I wanted to recreate these familiar conditions of how I trained for race day so that I would not need to stop at any water stations throughout the course because I hate the feeling of water sloshing back and forth inside me when I drink mid-run. I also consumed a sports drink called human just before the race. It's a caffeine and sugar-free drink that provides the body with ketone esters, as an added source of energy to boost performance. Ketones are an efficient source of energy that becomes available to the body when we fast or significantly restrict carbohydrate consumption to induce ketosis. Consuming the drink induces a short period of ketosis without fasting or carb restriction. I had bought and tried this ketone ester drink many years ago with a positive outcome, but had one bottle remaining. It worked equally well this time as low energy levels were never part of the race and I attribute the ketone ester energy drink in large part to that success. The boost of the energy from the bottle had a lasting effect that remained with me for the whole race. Note that the ketone esters are different from popular ketone salt supplements in that they provide a stereospecific isoform of ketones, making them more potent. The only negative thing about ketone esters is their really bad taste, which also lingers for a really long time. While at the uh, start line, I felt energized and anxious to get going. I was surrounded by a sea of runners where I had very little personal space, but I did find peace knowing that we were all about to embark on a collective journey. My opening kilometer was intentionally the slowest of the entire run at 5 minutes and 49 seconds allowing me to gauge the average pace needed to achieve my two-hour goal. Once I was confident, I turned on the jets and completed the first third of the run with relative ease at an average pace of five minutes and eight seconds. At one point, I noticed that my Achilles tendon felt a little sensitive after a long downhill stretch leading to the waterfront where I was mainly forefoot striking. Uh, Once I reached the waterfront, the ground became flat and I switched to heel striking, which made the pain go away. And then later on, when I switched back to forefoot striking, the sensitivity was gone. So that was nice. Uh, Navigating the middle section, I strategically maintained a slower pace of 5 minutes and 25 seconds. I really resisted the urge to go too fast as I anticipated a significant slowdown during the last third of the run. I remember feeling pleased to reach the 14-kilometer mark and knowing that only the last third of the race uh, remained. My average pace continued to slow down to 5 minutes and 28 seconds from 14 to 20 kilometers as muscle soreness, especially in my right hamstring, made itself really apparent. Despite physical fatigue finally setting in, and my mental focus persisted thanks in large part to the music I was listening to. Fueled by my favorite album, Daft Punk's Alive 2007, and the cheering crowd of people all along along the racetrack, equipped with funny signs and motivating words, I was in a positive mindset to finish strong. I unleashed a full sprint for the last kilometer, passing every competitor in sight and setting a pace of 4 minutes and 13 seconds, well over a minute below the average pace for the entire half marathon at 5 minutes and 24 seconds. So I completed the race in 1 hour, 53 minutes, 48 seconds, 6 minutes under my 2 hour goal. This was by far my most intense run all season and I was glad I saved it for race day. Here are a few insights I've gained now that the training season and half marathon are completed. Let's first address the most important reason why I personally set goals. It's to improve, to get better, to adapt. Adaptation is a keystone to the whole goal-setting process, right? At the onset, this goal was beyond my current capabilities, but I firmly believed that with the right training plan, my body could adapt and surpass its existing limits. Armed with training knowledge and experience, I crafted a plan tailored to my specific needs. Once I started the training plan, I realized my ideal training frequency wasn't feasible, However, despite being able to train only once a week, I observed continual progress that brought me closer to reaching my goal. So adapting the training plan to make it more sustainable is equally important as the adaptations your body makes in response to the training plan. The importance of flexibility in the pursuit of long-term goals cannot be emphasized enough. Another way of being flexible is being resilient in the face of adversity. Getting sick near the end of the training cycle, as I did, felt like a significant blow, casting doubt on the progress I'd made. I had to have faith that when I recovered, I would be the version of myself with adaptations from executing the training plan. Adaptation is not only about crafting the perfect plan, but also about having the resilience to navigate unexpected obstacles and trusting the body's innate capacity to rebound, recover, and ultimately adapt. It's also important to adopt a holistic approach to reaching your goals. Complementing the physical training, my diet and nutrition were held to high standards, ensuring my body received optimal fuel for performance and recovery. On the mental front, injecting an element of enjoyment into the training, despite running not being my favorite activity, helped me stay motivated and engaged throughout the process. Focusing on my breathing during the runs, that was really important as it created a profound mind-body connection and fostered mental focus capable of reaching the goal in front of me. A major shift in my thinking with regard to running was realizing I could glide better with, with a heel strike. As I already said, initially, I had adhered strictly to forefoot striking in my running technique, but thanks to Dr. Matt Menard, I embraced a more versatile approach and integrated both heel and forefoot striking into my training. This shift allowed me to leverage multiple strategies, adapting my running style based on varying terrain, speeds, and conditions. By acknowledging the importance of versatility in foot striking, I enhanced my adaptability and my body's resilience by adapting to the different forces produced by the different striking patterns. My ultimate insight from adopting multiple strategies is that there's no right or wrong technique to running. To me, running technique is an outcome of the interaction between the unique individual and the unique location where the run is occurring. Not only does running technique constantly change with changes in terrain and the other environmental conditions, but is also influenced by changes in the runner's goals and motivations and even their skeletal structure. If there's no right or wrong running technique, That really underscores the importance of managing the intensity and frequency of training sessions to allow for the body's adaptation and growth without reaching a breaking point. Drawing an analogy to the skin, when stress is applied gradually, the skin builds resilience in the form of a callus, whereas a blister forms when a sudden and excessive stress is applied. While perfecting running mechanics, undoubtedly it contributes to efficiency, the intensity of each run determines how close you get to unleashing excessive stress that the body is not ready for, resulting in acute injury or the proverbial blister. There's a delicate balance between stress and injury, as given the right dosage of stress at regular intervals, the body can flourish and adapt to new capacity. It's a reassuring perspective, knowing that the commitment to consistent training holds the key to unlocking the body's incredible adaptive potential. During my half marathon run, I took note of runners of all different shapes and sizes and age groups displaying unique running techniques. Many of the people I noted I thought were exhibiting inefficient techniques, yet a handful were running as fast as I was, some even faster. The diverse running techniques I witnessed, really highlighted the adaptability of the human body. As I was running, I was thinking about how the beauty of running lies not just in the pursuit of a singular, perfect form, but in the individualized journey of adaptation and growth. Completing the half marathon has been a fun journey that has filled me with a profound sense of accomplishment and a thirst for more. I have more appreciation than ever for the incredible capacity of the human body to adapt to stress and stimuli. I look forward to restarting the process for the full marathon journey and embracing the new cycle of growth and adaptation. I encourage others to take on similar physical challenges appropriate to their capabilities. I invite you, the reader or listener, to set your sights on a challenging goal that is beyond your current limits. It doesn't have to be to run a half marathon like I did, but it can be. The beauty of embarking on such a a pursuit is not just in the physical achievement, but in the transformative process you must undertake. The flexibility and resilience you must display throughout the process of growth and adaptation becomes a permanent fixture of your persona, fostering a mindset and a belief in your ability to overcome obstacles. The many different running techniques I noted during the race also underscore to me the individualized nature of accomplishing these challenging goals. There is no one-size-fits-all approach to success, and each individual takes a unique path to discover the incredible potential that lies within. Just remember to embrace the journey and to adapt to it. thank you for watching or listening till the end of the podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please send me a message at jmartfit at substack.com. You can also reach me through social media at jmartfit on Instagram and X. I'm also on Noster. All the links are in the description. Love you all. Have a good week. Stay active. Be grateful. Jmart out.